Hello. Good morning, church. Good to see you today. Good to be here. Thank you for this opportunity to be able to preach from God's Word as we continue on in our sermon series called How to Pray. But before we get into it, I'd like to open up with a story. A story that's not my story. It is my wife's story. Rule number one of preaching. If you have a story that is about your wife, said wife needs to approve this illustration. So. All right. So, my wife, Shauna, when she was in high school, she had a close friend. It was a guy friend, and his name was Bobby. He came to her house one night, and he wanted to have a conversation. Well, they sat in her driveway on a warm night with the owls hooting, the sky full of stars, and the smell of her mom's lilies wafted through the air. Bobby told Shauna as bravely as he could that he believed it was God's will that they were going to get married after high school. Now, they had been in the same friend group for years, and his mom was even a bit of a mentor to Shauna, but she just never thought of him in that way. She cared for her friend Bobby, and she didn't want to hurt his feelings, but her dreams were much different than his. She wanted to go off to college. She wanted to see the world, not get, get married at 18 and settle down. But Bobby believed it was God's will. I think God has something, someone else in mind. The will of God. That's what we're going to talk about this morning within the passage, the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Last week, Pastor Casey, he kicked us, kicked us off with this new sermon series. And he called this the Lord's Prayer. We could also be called the Disciples' Prayer because this is the prayer that he gave to his disciples as a model, a model for them to, into which to pray. And he says that when he says, uh, he conveys that when he says, pray like this. We learned last week that we need to seek out the character of God when we approach him in prayer. This week, we're going to talk about the will of God. The book of Matthew, it lays out for us what this kingdom of God looks like. Especially for those who are anticipating its arrival. You see, the nation of Israel came through Abraham. And God made a certain promise to that nation, to Abraham. He said, be through you that the nations of the world would be blessed. They would grow, go on to grow as a nation. They would have their own lands. They would even have their own king. And they flourished. And they were the envy of the surrounding nations around them. Until they weren't. Until they started becoming like the other nations. You see, they were supposed to be a holy people, set apart for God's own purposes. But they became more like the nations around them. They would go on, they would go on to lose their lands and the prosperity that they enjoyed. They'd be exiled and they would long for this kingdom to come back, that they would be restored. In the book of Matthew... We come to see what is expected of those who choose to live out this kingdom. Longing for God's perfect, perfect will that is in heaven to come down here on earth. For the disciple, for the one who follows Jesus, they desire the kingdom to come. 
They defer to his will to be done. And they're dependent on the provision that he provides. So today, we're going to focus on his kingdom, his will, and his provision. And as citizens of his kingdom, we're going to discover three expectations from those who follow in the way of Jesus. First, a disciple. A disciple desires the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know who would necessarily disagree to say, you know, this kingdom of God is not a good thing. But I think we're, but we're going to take a deeper look at what uproots that desire. But first, what is the kingdom of God? What is it? What is it? Well, when we look at scripture, it's used interchangeably for kingdom of heaven. This is the realm of God's royal reign, of his ruling, of his kingship, where all things are according to his will and his dominion. It's in this realm that his blessings flourish. And it's in, in heaven, it's in its fullness. And we pray that it will come and be found here on earth. This prayer, it's a plea for God to please bring your kingdom come. Now we look forward to this kingdom and its reality in the future when Jesus comes back, when he returns. When he returns in his fullness, not just in judgment, but in justice. And there will be a people living under his reign where the uh, realm of his blessings will abound. We get a small glimpse of this in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. There it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning, no crying, no pain. For the old order has passed away. And later he says, behold, I am making all things new. In the book of Matthew, we see that the kingdom is already present. We see how Jesus, he breaks in to human history and reveals himself. Jesus was the one they've been waiting for. He's the one that the prophets and the kings have been looking forward to and were expecting. Matthew writes this book as if to say, look, this is the guy. This is the one they're talking about. And he wants to let them know, hey, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it. In the very beginning of Matthew, he starts off with a genealogy. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading a book and I'm just perusing through it, I might read an interesting story and it it makes it interesting. It makes you want to read more. It It makes you want to lean into it some more. But Matthew doesn't do that. He starts with a family tree. A genealogy. Why would he do that? It's because one of the prophecies was this. That God made a promise to King David that there'd be somebody in his family, in his house, his family line, who would sit on the throne forever and ever. 
and you see this family line lead right up to Jesus. Not only that, he comes back and again and again. Matthew comes back again and again to, to show that Jesus is this fulfillment. This is the one that they've been waiting for. First, he was born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary. Check. Born in Bethlehem. Check. Escaped to Egypt and came back from Egypt. Check. Try to avoid Herod and all the atrocities that he was committing against the infants in that region because he was looking for Jesus. Check. His ministry in Galilee. Check. Then we find in chapter 4, verse 17, as if Jesus was just stepping up on a stage and he says this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Mic drop. The one that the prophets and the kings have been waiting for. He is here. There were other people there. There were other people who claimed to be this Messiah, this king. Didn't pan, pan out well for them. But Jesus didn't just go about proclaiming a message. He came in power. He wasn't like the other guys who would go and try to invoke the gods and manipulate them to perform some sort of miracle power on his behalf. Jesus is the son of God. He is God. And he just didn't talk about it, but he did it. And he proved it. And he showed it. When you read through Matthew, it reads like the headlines in the newspaper. All the things that Jesus did. Jesus feeds the thousands. Jesus heals the blind. Jesus strikes again. Paralyzed man walks. I like this one. Jesus turns sorrow into joy. Brings young girl back to life. Jesus not only heals man's leprosy, but his loneliness. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, it shows us that Jesus came with a message, but he came in power. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Ladies and gentlemen, the king has come. And that entrance into the kingdom can only come through him. Through his death on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, for all of humanity, for all of time. He died on that cross. But not only that, he overcame death. He was resurrected from the dead. So we can have eternal life in this kingdom. But what competes with this desire for the kingdom? 
We just saw a glimpse of the good life under his reign. There's a, a book I read some time ago by um, James K.A. Smith. It's called Desiring the Kingdom. And in that book, even in the introduction, he paints this picture of a mall and how in many ways this mall was almost like a place of worship that's vying for our attention and painting a very different picture of this kingdom, a very different kingdom. I didn't have enough time to read the whole thing because he's a little bit long on words, so I kind of abbreviated it for you. You'll thank me. As you walk through a sea of cars in the parking lot, you leave the busyness of the outer world. As you walk through the narthex into the sacred inner space, there you are met with high vaulted ceilings reaching to the heavens with windows that let in the light of the sun. An information desk is there to help answer your questions. You see people having coffee and meeting in small groups, connecting over a fellowship meal in the food court. Walking through the labyrinth of corridors, you observe an array of chapels, a little bit of something for everyone. Before you enter a chapel, your eyes bombarded with visions of the good life, inviting us to come to taste and see. Whether it be a pair of shoes or traveling on an adventure into a distant land or a piece of technology that promises superpowers with the tap of a finger. A message is being communicated that we can find satisfaction in this good life. We are met with friendly people who greet us and are more than ready to attend to our needs and help us take those, uh, help them take their next step. If only we make an offering we too can walk away satisfied with a tangible reminder of our experience and possibly share it with others. We're being groomed to desire something that is not of the kingdom. We're convinced that, that there's something better the picture of the good life, they're trying to paint a very different picture of the good life rather than the kingdom of God. And I think it's for us, it can be almost too, too easy to say, yeah, I like this kingdom. Sure, I desire this kingdom. But under the surface, are we under that conviction? Do we indeed believe that? Instead of keeping the kingdom of God on the back of our minds, Maybe we need to bring it up to the forefront of our minds so our actions and our decisions reflect that we believe in this kingdom of God. Do you want it, church? Do you look at the brokenness in this world and say to yourself, Lord, bring wholeness, bring this kingdom? Do you want it? Do you long for it? So the, the disciple, the one who follows Jesus, he desires the kingdom of God to see here on earth as it is in heaven. But he also, he or she also defers to the will of God, 
when we say, your will be done. When I say defer, I mean to submit, to surrender, and to obey God's purpose, his plan, and his teachings. But the will of God can be complicated sometimes. How can a finite being like myself know what an infinite God, what his will is? God has a much bigger picture than what we have on hand. He's moving through human history. He's moving towards this kingdom come. But we know this kingdom and his will is good and perfect. Even if we can't see that big picture at the time. Kenneth Bailey put it this way. In heaven, the will of God flows like a great river that has no barriers to hold its progress. On earth, however, sin interrupts the flow of God's desire for good for all people. Such a desire is his perfect will. We pray, asking that here on earth we might enjoy the perfect will of God as it is enjoyed in heaven. And we look to Jesus as our example, as our model of one who defers to the will of God. In Matthew Chapter 26, verse 42, it says, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He said, not my will, but your will be done. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is on the night that he is going to be betrayed. It says there that he is overwhelmed with sorrow. That he's filled with trouble. He prays this three times. He knew what was coming. He knew what we have to, he would have to suffer through. He was taking on the full weight of sin for all mankind, past, present, and future. So we could all enter into this kingdom. He is obedient to the Father to the point of death, even death on the cross. But remember, Jesus, he knew what it was like in the kingdom of God before he came here on earth. He knew what this kingdom looked like, where all of God's will is being carried out in this realm, under his rulership, in this realm of blessing. He knew what he had to do to open that door. So we look to Jesus and we follow the footsteps of Jesus. You see, God's reign here on earth presently comes through people who trustingly do his will, not just know his will. E.C. Baird put it this way, humorously. He writes, you ask, what is the will of God? Well, here's the answer true. The nearest thing that should be done that he can do through, oh, the first service, they're so on top of that. <laughs> through, thank you. All right. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says there, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter, <clears throat> into, enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now 
And some unknown writer wrote it this way. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. That one stings a bit. We see Jesus. He takes along his disciples and he's training them. He's showing them. And he's teaching them this kingdom of God and they're spreading the message. He's getting them ready. He's carrying on this work. They're going to have to carry on this work. Because there will be a day when Jesus is going to die and they need to be ready. We see in Acts all the things that he's going to do through these, his disciples and how it's just going to grow. But they need to be ready. But it takes, a, it takes trust. It takes trust in his will. Trust that his will is perfect, that it's good and it's pleasing. It could be hard. It could be hard when you pray that. You know, because you pray that prayer, it may actually, may actually cost you something. I know some of you are going through a really hard time, and it's like, man, I can't even see the will of God in front of me. But I like what Robert had to say this morning about Daniel and his friends, how they were under threat of being thrown into a fiery uh, furnace. And they said... It doesn't matter if we get thrown in that furnace. Our God is our God, and we're not going to chase after any other. Sometimes we just don't have the big picture. But in Romans 12, 2, we see that his will is good. It's perfect. What can happen when I put my will above God's will? Well, I would hope when we go back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, when Eve is having this conversation, Satan's in his ear and saying, did God really say not eat of the tree of good and evil? Did he really? God knows that you eat of this tree, you're going to become gods like him. And the thing is, there was no evil in the world. And when they put their will above God's will, it's been disaster for us. And we're still reeling from the effects of it today when we see the brokenness in this world. So what is his will? You know, I talked to Pastor Casey this week. And the will of God is, uh, it's a big subject. And it would take up a lot more than 30 minutes this morning. And so I, he described it as like, like five facets Five facets of a diamond. It's beautiful, but there's five different aspects to it. And I'm just going to touch on three real quick. First, there's God's redemptive will. And I think this is what we see when we pray for God's kingdom come, when we see this in the future. This is God's desire to redeem all of the universe and restore it to what it was before the fall. It may be even better. There's also God's permissive will. This is what he allows. We live in a broken world where people hurt each other, where there's sin and death all around us. He's not the cause of it. But he allows it and he hopes that it would turn people back to him. And maybe they could bring the kingdom into the hearts and minds of those around them. And then... There is God's moral will. This is the ethical part of God's will. 
God wants us to be holy, set apart, moral people because he is holy. It reflects his holy character. And we see this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. And we see this repeatedly time and time again in Matthew. He lays out the teachings of Jesus and how they are to be lived and obeyed. This kingdom lifestyle that's supposed to characterize a kingdom people. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, those who defer to the will of God, they're going to love their enemy. They're going to give to the needy. They're not going to be hating. They're going to be merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, humble, and doing the work of God. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. Not going to read the whole thing, just the part. This is a parable, parable that Jesus is giving. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And they ask him, when did we ever see you in prison? When did we ever see you hungry? When did we ever see you without clothes? And he says, well, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And he goes on to say, it is these kingdom people that will inherit eternal life. I was so excited, was it last week or the week before, we prayed over a group of people who are a part of the Kairos ministry, going into the prisons to minister to the people that are there. I thought of this verse. I'm like, oh, they're doing the kingdom work. That's awesome. They were teaching them the way into the kingdom, but also they're going to be teaching them the ways of the kingdom. And in doing so, they are fulfilling the kingdom's commission. To go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the end of the age. This is just a snapshot of those who defer their will to God. Is living a life... Ask yourself, how can I be used to see this kingdom come? Are we giving orders to God and asking him for his blessing? Or do we approach him in, through the scriptures, reading his scripture, meditating on it, praying over it, and coming before him and say, God, this, this day is a day that you give me to be alive. What are my orders today? Give me my marching orders. How do you want me to live in it? A disciple defers to the will of God. Not only that, not only do they desire the kingdom, not only do they defer to the will of God, but they depend on the provision of God. And this is found in, uh, in the passage where it says, give us today our daily bread. This echoes a, part, a, a proverb that asks to be given not too much and not too little but just what I need for today. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, it says there, 
Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And I like how Douglas O'Donnell put it. He put it this way, this way. We are not to pray for our greeds, but for our needs. And when you pray this prayer, give us today our daily bread. I don't think it falls on us. It doesn't have as much impact as somebody who's in the first century Galilee. You see, living in that time, you work a day, you get paid, then you can go get your food. If you got injured or hurt, that could spell disaster for your family. They couldn't stock up on food like we do today. There was no refrigeration. But in the asking, it's a recognition of this, of this dependence on him for even life's vital, uh, vital provisions. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, it says, Jesus teaches that we're not to even worry about food. God knows what you need. We are to ask first, or we are to seek first the kingdom of God. And our provisions will be provided for. And I'll say also in the first century, a first century Jew who's reading that, that, that passage, it would bring to mind Moses and the Israelites and their wilderness wanderings. In Exodus chapter 16, 4 and 5, we, we find that God would be their provision. That he would rain down bread from heaven daily. And they were only to gather just enough for that day. And God said, don't you save for tomorrow. You save for tomorrow, you know what you're going to find? Rotten food filled with maggots. Why would God do that? Because he was trying to teach them something. They were learning to, to trust in God. They were learning to obey God. And they were, looking, they were learning to depend on him for their needs. And I will say, my dependence on God becomes all the more clear when I'm fasting and praying. When you're fasting, you feel those hunger pains. You start feeling it. And you start realizing, boy, I depend on God for each and every breath that I have. If I don't have food, I don't live. Life just seems so fragile. But I'm in awe of such a glorious and powerful God. When I go to him in prayer and I'm fasting, it's recognizing my dependence on him. I pray for you guys. I pray for the leadership of this church. I pray for how he's moving us even through this community development. I think we're living at a very exciting time. Sometimes you can have all these different choices. It's like, you know what, God? I don't want to go anywhere that you're not. I need you to go before me and just show me the way. Show me how I can best follow you. So today in the disciples' prayer, we see that a disciple, he desires the kingdom of God. He defers to the will of God and he depends on the provision of God. 
And that leads us to today's big idea. When God makes his purpose clear, we need to act on it. It's just not enough to know it. We need to take action. How we're led by the Holy Spirit and how we spend time and how we're armed with the word of God. But what keeps us from acting on it? Am I seeking my own kingdom or another kingdom? Or am I seeking the kingdom of God? Am I seeking my own will instead of God's will? Am I depending on my own provision instead of the provision that God provides? You know, I was thinking about Bobby. Poor Bobby. His loss is my gain. <laughs> but I do hope and I do pray that wherever he's at, that he's seeking first the kingdom of God. And that's my prayer for you. So if you're not a citizen of the kingdom of God, please know that Jesus, he opened that door. And he just didn't open that door, but he wants you there. I spent a good part of my life, I felt like I was on the outside looking in. And Jesus says, come, you belong here. I want you here. I want you in this kingdom, in this realm, for eternity. <sighs> Thank you for his grace. So, it's so good. If you have not yet made that decision to know who Jesus Christ is, we're going to be playing the music here. And as the music plays, I want to invite you to come forward and to step through that door. Or maybe you're going through a time in your life where it's really hard to see the will of God. And you just need people to be praying with you, with whatever you're going through. So if you, if you have that on your heart, please come forward. We have people here that will pray with you as the music plays. <laughs>